Our text for tonight is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And this is the NIV, uh, the Bible's in your pews, or the NIV as well, if you want to follow along, or it's up on the screen as well, or if you need to get your phone out. Starting in verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I want to welcome you to Providencia, West Palm Beach. My name is Keith Case, and I am a pastor here at the church, and we are a community seeking to be rooted in the resurrection. We are a community that believes that on the other side of death, there is a new possibility of eternal life. And that is not just some uh, whistling in the dark, some fantasy, that that actually is a physical reality, that our bodies will be made new. Not just in a spiritual sense, but in a very real physical sense. From the bottom of our hearts, if you're visiting with us tonight, we want to welcome you um, from whatever space you're coming to from us uh, to us tonight, whatever, wherever you are in your spiritual journey. If you haven't been to church in 15 years or 20 years, we, are wel- we want to welcome you. If you've never been to church in your life, we want to welcome you. We are community committed to joining, to working, to gathering, to journeying together. And we are believing, we are hoping that as God builds us a new home and a new community here as a church, that we will be able to do the same thing for our city. As our vision states, we pray and we are working to see a city where all can flourish. Where all can flourish. I don't know if you can imagine a city like that. A city where all can flourish. Our church is is actually named after a shipwreck. Um, The ship, we say, gave birth to our city. It crashed out in front of Mar-a-Lago, had 20,000 coconuts in the bottom of it. That's where Palm Beach gets its name. It was the first sustainable agriculture this area had ever seen. And because of those coconuts, because of those palm trees, when developers came here, they said, you guys have turned the jungle into paradise, and we are going to build a city here. So we say out of a shipwreck, a city was born. Out of shipwrecks come new life. And we are committed to seeing West Palm Beach be a home 
for the people who live here to really be a home. So yesterday, on Saturday, um, 11 of the women here from our church, I think you're here tonight, some of you at least, some people may be at home icing uh, their sore muscles, were actually building a house uh, for a family here with Habitat for Humanity. Could those women just stand up for a second if you're here tonight? Those of you who are here, Anna's going to be representing all of them. Okay, yes, so some of them are here. Okay, awesome. I I know most of you are expert builders, but I want to thank you for your courage and the risks that you took to step into a space and, and be engaged in a work that you may not be that familiar with. Your courage, inspired, your courage inspired me so much that yesterday I took my three girls shopping for seven hours uh, for clothes. So we, we started off at, uh, at Target. Uh, we ended up at the outlets. I had to take a small break at Whole Foods for some coffee and just to breathe for a second. And we finished the night at Goodwill. So um, it was quite a journey uh, all the shopping that I did yesterday, and I love fashion, but when you have three, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old, I did not realize that women's clothing was so complicated. I got a, a good education yesterday in, in the complexities of, of women's fashion, um, but I, I, was, I was a little tired today. I know it's Easter, and I realized that part of that was from yesterday from shopping for seven hours, but then Friday night, Many of you were with us at Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church as we celebrated Good Friday. And when I say that we were there, what I mean is that we were there for three hours. Um, and it was, it was a long service. Uh, it was a beautiful service. We got to hear from Dr. Gladwin um, and uh, so many other beautiful pastors, um, men and women. It was, it was a really, really encouraging night. Uh, to see the work that's happened between our church and Tabernacle and some of the fruit of that was such a gift. That night, uh, my, my text in particular uh, was where Jesus is on the cross, and it says that the women were near him, that the women were near him as, as Jesus is suffering, as he's dying, that the women were near. And I pointed out the fact that it has often been women who have led me to places that I would rather forget. It has been women who've had the courage to take me to face things in my life, to face pain in my life, to face grief in my life, to face insecurities, to face things that I was trying to run away from. And as we turn to this text tonight, we find that it's the women who are on their way in the dark to the tomb of Jesus. It says early in verse 1, early on Sunday morning. The first day of the week, while it was still dark, while it was still dark. Some of you have visited death recently or have had death visit your family, and you know the reality of what it feels like to feel the darkness of death still upon you. Some of you have even had family members that, you know, were rushed to the emergency room uh, this week or this past week. And death was so very close. And you feel the darkness of it. And these women are walking still in the darkness of death that Sunday morning. And they're going closer and closer to the tomb. And the woman who's leading the way 
that we know from this text is Mary Magdalene. The other texts reference other women that were traveling with her. But in this text, John is driving home the point that Mary Magdalene is the one, that she really will be the first apostle, the first one to bring the news that the tomb was empty. She'll be the first one to actually see Jesus face to face. And so she goes to the tomb to see her hope, to go looking for him in the dark, in the grave, to go looking for that man. See, Mary still had hope. She still had hope in Jesus because there was nothing else for her to have hope in. She remembers when she was there before all of Jesus' friends, before the highly religious, and she walked in and she began to wash his feet. And the religious there began to mock her and say things. And Jesus gave her dignity. He said, you don't understand. She gets it better than you. Jesus lifted her up higher than anyone had ever lifted her up. In the dark, at that grave, she goes looking for hope because she was still holding on to it. Or maybe hope was still holding on to her. And she gets there, and the stone is gone. The Lord was gone. And she didn't know where he went. It is the chaos, if you will, that many of us experience in death. The first question often we ask when somebody, we hear the news that somebody has died, we want to know, how did it happen? That somehow if we get the right information, maybe some ways we can build up our defenses to keep it from happening to us. Maybe in some way it will prepare us. Some way we can avoid it. Death brings chaos. What is happening? And she runs away back into the city, back to the hiding place where the men are scared for their lives. Have you ever gone running with urgent news? You ever been out somewhere like hiking? Somebody gets hurt. You're deep in the woods and you're running, not just for your life, but for theirs. And it's just like one step after another, you're kind of out of shape, but you're just like, I got to keep going, I got to keep going. And you're finding something deep inside to keep going, to keep going. And Mary is running back, running back to tell the men that something has happened. Someone has taken her hope. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord, but we don't know who the they is. We don't know who the they is. They stole our hope, and we don't even know who it is. And death will do that. Death is coming for all of us. And it doesn't come on a calendar on our agenda. It doesn't come when it's convenient. Death comes when it wants to come. And it's coming for us. It is coming for us. It is a reality that it is coming for us. And there are things in many ways for my, me in my own life that I find myself not wanting to face that reality. In fact, running from it. 
Um, and, and in many ways, I find the longings of my heart screaming out like, please, please don't let me die. The part that got me in the video was when I saw my kids playing kickball. It's a cruel joke to bring kids into this world if there is no resurrection. There's too much damn suffering. There's too much pain if there is no resurrection. For my kids, seeing my kids on the screen, that's where that video got me. I don't ever want to stop being a dad. I don't ever want to stop being a husband to my wife. I don't ever want to lose my friends. I don't ever want to stop creating when it's really good. I know there's some days it's not so fun when you're working. But you know when you're creating and it's really good and the juices are flowing, it's like, yes, I don't ever want to lose that. I don't want to die. But sometimes in my desire to not want to die, in my desire to build a home here for my kids that will not end, I end up running all around, all over the city, busy, 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 trying to build this home for them. And I miss them in the process. I miss life in the process. And I don't know how you're running. Maybe you can just think about that for a second. How is it that I'm running? What am I running towards to try to escape the finality of this life? What are the things that you are chasing after that you think can keep you going after death? Maybe it's your network. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your name on a building. Maybe it's your bank account, the legacy to your children. But the invitation tonight is actually that you don't have to run from death anymore. You don't have to run from death anymore. So while I was out running around and I was on an errand to Home Depot, I listened, I was working in my yard beforehand and I, I listened to reggae a lot in my uh, yard when I'm uh, working. So I've got the reggae on, I'm listening to Peter Tosh and he's my favorite right now for some reason and I go on a drive, I take my phone with me, and I got my supplies from Home Depot. I've loaded this van up. I don't know how much you know about minivans, but you can put like half of a, um, half of a uh, supply store in the back of those things. And I got the thing, I got two by fours and, and plywood and all this stuff in there. And I'm listening to this song by Peter Tosh called Burial. It's about a funeral. And I'm singing it, I'm singing it, I'm just jamming out, driving down 95, getting ready to come up on my exit, and all of a sudden, I remember my friend Josh. And I reach for my phone for a second, just for a second, because I was going to call him. See, my, my heart had played a trick on me, my head, because my, my heart thought that Josh was still alive. My heart wanted Josh to still be alive. I don't know if it's happened to you, if you've lost somebody that you love, but one of these weird things, you, you think that you can still call them for seconds. 
And then I realized that I couldn't call him. So as I'm getting off 95 on the Forest Hill, I'm just weeping. I'm weeping. I'm like, I'm going to crash. You know, the, the homeless guy at the end of the exit ramp is like trying to hide because he sees this guy in this minivan with all this lumber just weeping. It's like, man, I thought I had it bad. This guy, something's happening. Weeping that my friend is gone. When Mary gets to the place where Peter and John are, I don't know if their, their heart plays a trick on them, but they take off running to that tomb. Maybe they think that he's going to be there or somehow they're going to find out where he is. They're going to get to the bottom of it. So they take off in verse 3. and says the other disciple... They started for the tomb, and they're running. They're running towards death. They're running towards chaos. They're running towards that tomb. And in verse 4, as it says, they are both running. John says, but I was faster. John is the author of this gospel. I'm like, man, in the midst of death, John is trying to prove to all of us for the next 2,000 years that he was faster than Peter. This guy's got his priorities right, you know? He tells us later, you know, he, re, he reemphasizes it later on and says, you know, that he goes, you know, the one that got there first actually went into the tomb eventually. But John is sitting here, you know, he finds it so important to let us know that he was faster than Peter. But it's something interesting about John is John stops at the door. He looked in and saw that his hope had left behind linen, that the clothes were empty, and John wasn't about to step all the way in. He had run there, but he was not going into that tomb. That is a whole other level to put himself there. And friends, there are many times on my own that I have tried to be brave and to face fear, especially when I was younger. Some of us had t-shirts that said no fear on them. I didn't have one of those, but some of you did. We thought that it meant to be, you know, to face fear recklessly, that that was a brave thing. That's not a brave thing. It's just a reckless thing. But to truly wrestle with the gravity of death. It takes a lot of courage to actually climb into the casket, to let them lower you into the ground. That's a whole other level. And the invitation tonight is not just that you can stop running from death, but it's actually to step into the casket. Some of you may know this movie. I'm, I'm old. I'm 42, but... Um, Half of the room went, yes, he's really old. Some of you went, man, he's so young. Um, but this movie called Goonies. Anybody seen Goonies? It's like a cult classic. Please tell me some of the younger people have seen Goonies. If you haven't seen it, it's going to become your Easter film from now on. Um, but Goonies is one of my childhood movies, one of my favorites. And there's these kids living in Astoria, Oregon. They live in the Goondocks. That's where they, they call themselves the Goonies. And they find out that their houses are going to be demolished because this country club is expanding. 
the developers, you know, they have big plans. They're going to tear their houses down. Their parents don't, can't come up with the money because their houses are being foreclosed on. So they go on this adventure, and they go up into the attic, and they find this doubloon, and they find a map. It's a treasure map. And they decide to go looking for the treasure. Well, it's too crazy. It's too risky. You know, it's too dangerous. But they'd go anyway. So they begin to follow the map, and they begin to trace out where they need to go. And actually, they begin to look for the treasure. They have to go into this old abandoned restaurant. And you know who lives in the old abandoned restaurant? Who's working out of the old abandoned restaurant? The bad guys. That's the bad guy's fort. And they got to go through the bad guy's fort to get to the treasure. And so amidst all the fear, amidst all the worry, amidst all the concern, in their courage, they go in and they begin to explore and they find this secret door down a fireplace. And they go down into these tunnels. And then they face one-eyed Willie's booby traps. Booby traps everywhere. They almost die like 10, 15 times, and they just keep going on the journey. They're like, we're going to keep going, we're going to keep going, we're going to keep going. And finally, there's this relief moment where they come out, and there's this beautiful waterfall coming down. And down in the water, they see all these glistening coins, and they think, we found one-eyed Willie's treasure. They start celebrating, and they go down, and they start picking up the coins, and they're pennies. They're just pennies. They're pennies from the wishing well that all the kids would go to and they would throw a penny in as they made a wish. And there's that awesome scene there where Mouth begins to pick up a coin. He says, I'm taking this one back. This was my wish. This was my dream. And it didn't come true. So I'm taking it back. It's one of my favorite scenes. And then this bucket comes down because this cute girl who's there with them her boyfriend is up top, and he can rescue them all. He can get them out. They don't have to face the dangers anymore. They don't have to go any deeper. They can get out now. All they have to do is grab hold of the bucket, and he'll pull them out. But Rudy, I can't remember his name in the movie, but uh, little Rudy, before he was Rudy, gives this talk it's about this is our time. It's our parents' time up there, but it's our time down here. He said, we got to keep going. we got to keep going. So they send her, I guess, ex-boyfriend's uh, jacket back up on the bucket, and they're gone. Deeper into the adventure. Deeper into the cave. Deeper into the darkness. Deeper, deeper. See, John wanted to stop. When Peter got there... It says, he went right in. Peter kept going. Peter wasn't going to hold back. He goes right into the tomb. He goes right into the casket. Probably took him a second to realize, I'm surrounded by death. I'm in a tomb right now. But the smell, I imagine a smell like, you know, like the basement, like damp wet smell. It's like death in there. And it wasn't long probably before he began to feel the shame, the powerlessness that we feel when we stand at a graveside. Because death's been kicking our ass for a long time. And we carry the shame of it. 
I don't know if you realize, but we carry the shame of it. It's been beating us up, and we feel powerless in its presence. And Peter is standing there. And he looks around and he sees. He sees that they had taken him. They had taken him. They had taken his hope. He saw the strips lying lifeless. In verse 7, the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head was there, separate from the linens. In verse 8, now John enters, sees, he sees, and believes. See, it wasn't when John stood out at the door that he believed. It was when he stepped into the tomb. It was when he stepped into that dark place, that place where he thought his hope had come to an end. It was when he entered into that, when he walked into that room, when he was covered with that shame all around him, the smell of death, the hollowness of it. That is where he was found by a new hope. So if you're going through life and people keep lowering buckets to you. They say, hey, man, just take the easy way out. This is the easy way. You don't have to keep going. There's an exit ramp here. You don't have to really face this, the finality of it. Just numb yourself out a little bit longer, a little bit longer. The invitation that Jesus gives all of us tonight is to die to get it over with right now. Because for most of us, the lives that we're living, we are the Lord of them. And we say, I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to survive my way. And that's really what life feels like it's about anyway, so why don't I just watch out for me and my own, take care of my stuff, just for me, survive. And God says, you can go ahead and die now to that. Because I want to give you life. I want to teach you that you were made for more than survival. You were made to love. You were made to live. So the invitation is to not run from death anymore. The invitation is to climb into the casket and close the lid and die. That's what Jesus invites us to do. Come to me and die, and I will give you new life. Let me be the Lord of your life, and I will show you a new way, a new way to live that leads, leads, leads to life eternal. And it's not just something that happens after you die. It's something that begins right here, right now. See, resurrection is something that will happen Physically, for all of us, in Christ, he says that, but it's also something that we can experience right here, right now. And this is what I want to leave you with. 
See, it says that they still did not understand, so they went back to be with their community. And it's when they're with their community, because some of the stuff I'm saying tonight you may not understand, and that's okay. But it is when they're with their community that Jesus comes and visits them again. And they begin to understand more about resurrection. That's one of the reasons that we gather together as a body, as a family, is because we need each other to be able to understand what resurrection is all about. I want to leave you with this. Each of us in here ultimately will face death alone. You may have family and friends around you holding your hand, singing songs to you, but each of us will face it alone. But we will rise together. The resurrection is a communal experience. We will rise together. So you may die alone. You may try to sail to the Bahamas and end up by yourself out there and die alone. But we will rise together. You may have no family there, no presence, nobody there to hold your hand, but we will rise together. The name of our sermon series this year is called Rooted, and right now we're in this whole thing on community, that we want to be a community rooted in resurrection. We want to rise together. Let us pray.